Hello and welcome back to the Six Peas Podcast. Great to have your company for another episode, for another series, and for another year. It's great to be back after a really successful year last year where we had over 5,000 people tuning into the podcast. Happy to say that we're back again this year and looking forward to working with a new group of Year 12s. And to those of you who were in Year 12 last year, just want to say um, all the best for this year. If you would like to get in contact with me, you can do so via email at 6pspodcast at gmail.com. That's 6pspodcast at gmail.com. My name is Jim Session, and I look forward to going over Rear Window with you in the first couple of weeks of this year. We're going to go through the film in quite uh, solid detail over the next couple of weeks. We're going to break it up into three parts for the beginning, middle and end. And uh, we'll obviously have our music theme in there as well. If you're someone that isn't a massive fan of the music, don't worry, I get that. At the end, I'll be putting all just the audio together into one long, massive podcast so you can listen to the whole analysis of the film. Today the music theme is going to be artists playing at the Meredith Music Festival 2019 and after this first break we'll be back looking at Rear Window. Did this film was released in 1954, so credits usually came at the start of the film. And in the background, as we're looking at the credits, we have three blinds that are being retracted. What's the meaning behind this? Well, uh, this is sort of opening the show for us, and the camera's about to move through those blinds and provide us with a perspective of the neighbourhood. So the camera moves through the window, and we get to see, as I said, the residents of this Greenwich Village community we uh, for those who don't know Greenwich Village is in New York it's in Manhattan at the time it was a real cultural hub where lots of artists lived musicians um, sculptors we actually see or photographers even as well we see them in this film through three different characters and the camera pans around the neighborhood as we get introduced to these characters uh, including our protagonist LB Jeffries who is sleeping at the moment He is sweating quite profusely, and the reason why he's sweating is because it is 92 degrees on the thermometer, so about 34 degrees Celsius. It's a really warm summer's day in New York. After that close-up of the thermometer, 
It then pans to the songwriter who is shaving in the morning. He's listening to the radio and the ad says, men, are you over 40? When you wake up in the morning, do you feel tired and run down? Do you have that listless feeling? In frustration, he's very quick to uh, change the radio station. Again, we get this idea that this man is extremely frustrated and that is a pattern that continues throughout this film. The next character that the camera pans to is Miss Torso. Uh, I should say these names for the characters um, we find out through Jeffrey's himself later on in the film. Uh, Miss Torso is a beautiful young woman. She is um, a dancer and she's getting ready in the morning wearing little to no clothing. And what you'll find as well is she, along with many other of the residents, have their windows open, perhaps symbolizing the fact that maybe they are inviting um, Jeffries to look in. But also, literally, they're trying to escape the heat. It's a really, really warm heat wave at the moment. We're also introduced to a married couple that live towards the top of the apartment building adjacent to Jeffrey's apartment. They are sleeping outside. Quite interesting, they're one of um, the few characters who are seen outside their apartment building and they're actually sleeping head to toe which probably suggests that they're not quite as intimate a couple as maybe some of the others are and relationships and marriage is a really important theme throughout this text their alarm goes off in the morning and they wake up and uh, the camera then moves to lb jeffries it pans his body much like the camera would for a woman objectifying him get this recurring theme of Jeffries and his masculinity or lack of masculinity as he perceives it um, throughout the film and he's wearing a cast that says here lie the broken bones of LB Jeffries. The camera pans again to his um, or some sort of cupboard or some sort of bench where we see a broken camera and some photographs of a car crash behind it. We can deduce from this information that this is perhaps how he came to find himself with a broken leg. The camera then pans to some more photographs, this time they're of uh, the wall. Again, we can assume this is from World War II, and we work out later on that Jeffries was involved in that. And the last photo frame we see is that of a woman uh, in a frame. Some people have mentioned this is Grace Kelly, or her character, I should say, Lisa. Uh, I don't think it actually is, but what's interesting is the fact that the photo is, is a negative. It's a negative of a, of a smiling model. Perhaps that reflects Jeff's negative views of the fashion world. And that sort of ends our establishing sequence. We move on then to see um, LB Jeffries shaving um, in the morning. He's up and awake, and he gets a phone call from his editor, and they have a discussion. Uh, the editor is assuming that Jeffries is getting his cast off today, but Jeffries says, no, it's next Wednesday, and that uh, he still has a week to go in his cast. This scene is really important because it sort of starts and begins this idea of Jeffries and his voyeuristic habits, him looking at other people. And it starts with him looking um, at some bathing beauties up on the rooftop. There are some young women who are sunbaking up the top, what I think is interesting is, yes, Jeffries is, is looking at them, and we know that he's looking at them through the Kuleshov effect. This is a technique, film technique used, which just um, emphasizes the idea of what a character is looking at. We get a shot of the character, we get a sh another shot of what they're looking at, and a shot, third shot back to the character to see their reaction to what those characters are doing. Again, just solidifying and cementing the idea that we know that's what they're looking at. Now, while Jeffries is definitely staring at these girls, he's not alone. There's actually a helicopter hovering above them. 
And I guess this suggests to us as an audience that um, voyeurism and looking at other people was accepted within society, that Jeffries isn't the only one doing it, that so too are other people within the society. Jeffries is also, I guess, uh, tempted by the sight of Miss Torso. Um, this attracts his gaze. She's getting ready in the morning. She's she's dancing. As I said before, she's not wearing a whole heap uh, and her windows are wide open. So Jeffries has a great view of what she's doing in the morning and he's quite fixated on her. And we know that he's quite fixated on her because of the way that he, again, we get a bit of a closer view of his face, but also the coolish of effect. The conversation that he's having with his editor, whose name is Gunnison, is really, really important though. What it does for us is it identifies Jeffrey's views on marriage and on relationships. Firstly, his views on, on marriage. And um, he says to his uh, editor at the time, he says that um, you need to pull me out of this swamp of boredom. I'm going to do something drastic, like I'm going to get married. Then I'll never be able to go anywhere. This quote is really important because um, it highlights the idea that Jeffrey's assumes that being married means he will lose his freedom as well as his independence. He won't be able to leave anywhere. We know that he has, uh, he's a photographer, that he travels the world. He's called by the editor his best photographer and that he's too valuable to the magazine. So we know that Jeffries has a really, really, really important role within that magazine that he's very well known for his photographs. The editor, though, has a different idea of marriage. He actually says it's about time you got married before you turn into a lonesome, bitter old man. And Jeffries responds by saying, can't you just see me? And this is him expressing his idea of what he believes married life will be. Rushing home to a hot apartment to listen to the automatic laundry and the electric dishwasher and the garbage disposal and the nagging wife. Another great quote that I implore you to remember. Now, as Jeffries is saying this, he's looking across the courtyard at a married couple, the Thorwalds. Here we see... Uh, a husband looking after his wife, his invalid wife who's in bed. And we can assume from this that Jeffries lives vicariously. Vicarious means living through others. Jeffries' ideas on marriage are based around what he sees around them. It's clear from his position that he fears, his biggest fear is that if he does get married, he will end up like Lars Thorwald, looking after his wife and having to do anything. This is his greatest fear. And these views and values that Jeffries has, um, we know that they um, are based on that because of Hitchcock's editing and his use of the coolest of effect. Now, the final little moment in this scene comes from the woman living down the very bottom. Her name, we'll refer to her as Miss Hearing Aid. Um, she's looking at Thorwald, who, Lars Thorwald, who's the man with the nagging wife, looking at him doing some gardening. She Leaning over the fence says to him, you're giving those them far too much water, referring to the flowers, and he tells her to shut up. The first sign that we get that this is a really disjointed little community, that there's barriers, literal barriers, not just a fence, but also social barriers between many of these characters. And as Jeffries is looking at this, Stella, his insurance nurse, enters. So Stella, we would think he's sort of like the third main character after Jeffries and Lisa. She plays a really important role in the film. As stated before, she's an insurance nurse. She's there to look after Jeffries as he recovers from his broken leg. Her first sentence is really, really cool, actually. She says, The New York State sentence for a peeping Tom is six months in the workhouse. 
And she says that we, being American society, have become a race of peeping toms. What people ought to do is get outside their own house and look in for a change. This is a clear commentary on American society at the time and McCarthyism and the fear of communism and the fact that neighbours were encouraged to spy on one another. She initially questions the morality and the ethics around looking at others without their permission of being a peeping Tom. Uh, This was actually illegal, um, looking at other people. In fact, it's still illegal today, looking in at people in a private space. Stella says that she's got a nose for trouble, to which Jeff replies that he'd welcome trouble. And then the two get in a conversation about his relationship with Lisa Fremont, his girlfriend. She, Stella, I mean, says that Lisa's a beautiful young girl and you're a reasonably healthy man, taking a little bit of a jab at him and and his health. They have a conversation about marriage then, and we see their two differing views on marriage. While Stella has a really traditional view on marriage, Jeffries doesn't really. He doesn't think of it as something that he wants to do. Jeffries, in fact, says that Lisa expects me to marry her. That's normal. I don't want to. That's abnormal. Stella says that every man is ready for marriage when the right girl comes along. And Jeffries then describes Lisa. And what's really interesting about this is it's a really, really positive description. You know, she's all right, but she's she's too perfect. She's too talented. She's too beautiful. She's too sophisticated. She's too everything but what I want. And he says, if only she was ordinary. Again, Stella is really pushing for the fact that he should be marrying her. And he says, can you see her tramping around the world with a camera bum who never has more than a week's salary in the bank? And Sally goes, well, would you ever get married? And he goes, I'll probably get married. And when I do, it's going to be with someone who thinks his life not just as a new dress, a lobster dinner, and the latest scandal. And what's ironic about that is what happens when Lisa uh, arrives in the next scene. He says, I'm looking for a girl who's willing to go anywhere and do anything. Again, Lisa actually says that she'll do that, but Jeffries doesn't want a bar of it. So does he really know what he wants? I think Jeffries really fears commitment, fears marriage, and that's based on how he sees marriages around the neighborhood. Stella then gives her two cents worth. She says, when two people love each other, they come together, wham, like two taxis on Broadway, not sit around studying each other like two specimens. Once it was see somebody, get married, Get sorry, get excited, get married. Now it's read a lot of books, fence with a lot of four-syllable words, psychoanalyze each other until you can't tell the difference between a petting party and a civil service exam. Uh, Stella, again, holds that really traditional view of marriage, the fact that it's meant to be something that is done, that this makes sense, that Jeff should marry Lisa, but he's so reluctant to do that. Following this, again, there's a nice little moment there where... Um, Stella's giving him a massage and uh, she puts some oil on him, which he thinks is, oh, it's a bit cold. Again, that idea of his masculinity being sort of tested, that he's a little bit soft. The final moment here that I really like, actually, I should say, in this scene is seeing the, this newlywed couple arrive in the apartment just to the left of Jeffrey's. He sees a man and a woman uh, entering. They're wearing really formal clothing, just really conservatively. They've obviously just been married and they're entering their new apartment. They sort of represent the expectation about getting married. He carries his bride in even to finish the scene. But just before as they start to embrace, 
And again, the Kuleshov effect is used here to show Jeffrey's questioning his morality, whether he's doing the right thing by looking in on this private moment. The fact that the man then closes a blind straight after this suggests that Jeffrey's is looking in on a really private moment. I should say as well, the song That's Amore is playing in the background. Uh, that's Amore meaning that's love. I implore you to take note of the soundtrack and the songs that are being played throughout this film because they add an extra dimension to the actions that are taking place on the screen in the film. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Now we're going to play some Dead Prez, and on the other side of this break, we're going to introduce ourselves with Lisa Carol Fremont. We'll be back right after this. So after a fade to black, we are reintroduced to the neighborhood. It is now twilight time, evening time. The sky is orange. There still are clouds in the sky. We saw in the opening sequence or establishing sequence the gray clouds in the background, uh, which suggested that something ominous was about to happen. Um, But now uh, it's been replaced by an orange filter. Jeffries is sleeping in the darkness, and in fact, a shadow is cast over his face, representing the danger that's about to happen. But that's quickly uh, shifts through the soft lighting and a close-up of Lisa, his girlfriend, followed by a kiss shown in slow motion. Lisa then introduces herself to Jeff, turning one light on at a time, saying, Lisa, Lisa, Carol Fremont. This is representative of Lisa bringing light to their relationship. But there is a shadow, which is Jeffrey's reluctance to marry her, that's cast over them. Lighting and shade are really, really important uh, motifs that are seen throughout this film. Jeff questions whether this is the same Lisa Fremont that never wears the same dress twice, to which she responds only because it's expected of her. And she says that the dress is a steal at $1,100. With this scene, particularly, it sets up the conflict between the two characters. Look at the way they dress, their contrasting occupations, their views on each other. The fact that Lisa is willing to do anything for Jeffries, and that is what Jeffries wants out of a woman, according to the last scene. But Jeffries is sort of too stubborn to realise this. Even look at the way their contrasting view of this day. 
Jeffrey says it's just an old run-of-the-mill Wednesday. The calendar's full of them. Whereas Lisa responds by saying it's the opening night of the last depressing week of LB Jeffries in a cast. Look at what she does for him, what she's willing to do for him. She buys that dress for him. She even organizes dinner at 21. And she says that I'm going to make this a week you'll never forget. She also presents him with a new cigarette box, a really glamorous one, as opposed to the old rackety one that he had before. And again, symbolic of their two contrasting styles. Their costumes are very different as well. Look at what Jeffries is wearing. He's in sort of pyjamas, whereas Lee's is in this glamorous new dress. They then talk about their futures. And Lisa suggests that someday you might want to set up your own studio here and that isn't it time you came home, saying leave the magazine for yourself and for me and that you can just see him in a dark blue flannel suit. Jeffries laughs at this. He ridicules her for this idea that he could work in the fashion world and he says let's stop talking this nonsense. We, as the audience, feel sympathetic for Lisa throughout this scene. And Hitchcock does that through the use of close-ups. Every time Jeffries ridicules Lisa and her world, whether it's having a jab at what she does during the day or her insistence that Jeffries stays in New York, the close-ups of Lisa and the heartbreak in her face is clear. Jeffries doesn't take her seriously as a woman, as a partner, and as a career. And her career, sorry, I I should say. One last thing before we move on to the final scene on this first part is that Jeffrey's not being able to open up the bottle of wine. And again, just this idea of his masculinity. masculinity, uh, He needs another man to open the bottle for him. Okay, we're going to move to the final scene we're going to go through today, which will finish off the beginning of the film. And it begins as Lisa is preparing dinner in the kitchen with Jeffries looking down on a woman across the courtyard. We will come to know her as Miss Lonely Hearts, and she's preparing dinner for an imaginary man. The song playing in the background is a Bing Crosby song. It's called To See You Is To Love You, and it's ironic because that last final quote from the song is, I'll love you and I'll see you in the same old dream tonight. As she raises her glass to this imaginary man, so too does Jeffries raise his glass towards her in an act of sympathy. And Lisa walks in. Jeffrey says to her, Miss Lonely Hearts, well, I guess that's something you'll never have to worry about. To which Lisa quickly retorts by saying, oh, you can see my apartment from here. The contrast between Miss Lonely Hearts and Miss Torso is really interesting. We get, as I said, that really isolated, lonely Miss Lonely Hearts compared to Miss Torso, who's entertaining three men. In fact, Jeffrey says Miss Torso, the ballet dancer, she's like the queen bee with her pick of the drones. Jeffrey's views Lisa more as being a Miss Torso type, whereas Lisa, I think, sees herself more as Miss Lonely Hearts, lacking that real emotional connection with her with her partner with her boyfriend in Jeffries. they do look at um miss torso though and as i said lisa says that she's doing a woman's hardest job juggling wolves it's interesting to note as well that she's talking to one of them outside to which Jeffries responds she picked the most prosperous looking one but lisa 
says she's not in love with any of them. And Jeffries goes, why? And she says, you said it resembled my apartment, didn't you? She again is quick to attack him, just subtly, so that he understands what's going on. We also see Jeffries turning to look at the newlyweds, whose blind is still shut, suggesting that they're enjoying those first few days of marital bliss. And then he turns to look at the Thorwalds. What is interesting about the Thorwalds apartment is that the um, colour of the living room is different to the colour in the bedroom. Why I note that is because Lars Thorwald, the husband, is often seen in the living room and Anna is often seen in the bedroom. This idea about separation and the fact that they're always segmented, they're apart from each other. Now, Lars Thorwald brings dinner to his wife after working all day, just as Lisa does. She works all day, she comes home to bring dinner home for Jeff. He brings in the tray with the flour, which she throws away, and um, she doesn't really seem too impressed with what he's cooked for her. He then returns back to the living room and makes a phone call. Now, she's a little bit suspicious about this. So Anna Thorwald gets out of bed and um, walks over to see what's going on. And after catching him on the phone, an argument ensues between the two of them. In fact, she looks to be laughing at him, laughing in his face about something that's happening or someone who he's talking to. We're not too sure what it is. We can't actually really hear it. And again, this film is set entirely from Jeffrey's perspective. So again, we're living through Jeffrey's perspective and through what he sees. The scene closes with Jeffrey's and Lisa. So Lisa comes in with the lobster dinner as the songwriter is playing his song. She said, um, well, Jeffrey's makes a crack and says he lives alone. He probably had a very unhappy marriage. Uh, Lisa says it's almost as if it was written for us. Again, Jeffries has a wisecrack at her saying it's probably why he's having so much trouble with it. But upon providing him with his lobster dinner, he said, Lisa, it's perfect as always. With the fade to black, we now have Lisa laying down on the bed and they have a discussion or an argument about their future. Please note here that with the lighting, Jeff is shot from behind and in the shadow, whereas Lisa is a bit more well lit. There's also a bit of a shadow over Lisa's face at times, representing the shadow over their relationship. The camera angles are interesting too. Initially, Lisa and Jeff are on the same level. But by the end of this scene, Lisa is looking down on Jeff, and the balance of power has shifted. In this scene... Lisa provides Jeff with an ultimatum after Jeffrey suggests that she wouldn't survive in this world. In fact, he says, you just have to face it, Lisa. You're not meant for this kind of world, for that kind of world, referring to his job. Now, Jeff underestimates Lisa here. In fact, men underestimating women is a continuous theme throughout this film. Lisa says, so that's it. You won't stay here and I can't go with you which is actually what Jeffrey's wanted. He said that to Stella. I want a woman that'll go anywhere. She says, you don't think either of, either one of us could ever change? She says, I'm in love with you. I don't care what you do for a living. I'd just like to be part of it somehow. Again, expressing that emotional void that she has in this relationship. Jeffrey says, you've got this whole tan in the palm of your hand. Not quite, it seems, does she retort. Jeffrey's wants to keep things status quo 
which Lisa says, without any future, and she wishes him goodbye. As she's delivering her ultimatum, saying that she loves him, which is really significant, I think, in the background we see two photos. The first is of Jeffrey's in front of the plane, which is Jeffrey's life of action, and the second one is a framed negative, which shows his ambivalence towards women. Note how Lisa's face sort of is within one of those frames as well to suggest that she's trying to place herself in Jeffrey's life. One more thing to add about this scene is the fact that Jeffrey's views on Lisa's career is representative of those of men in the 1950s when looking at women in the workforce. Now, during World War II, women got, in fact, played a really integral role uh, in the war efforts in terms of working in the factories. And after the war finished, many of them wanted to continue working. Prior to this, women's main role was uh, in a domestic sense. But World War II gave them a real feel for work and being able to provide for themselves. And Lisa is symbolic of these efforts. After Lisa leaves, Jeffries looks out the window to see uh, the lights off in most of the apartments and then hears a woman scream. And that is where we're going to leave the Greenwich Village community for now. Next episode, we'll look at the middle portion of the film as the murder mystery unravels and as the uh, relationship between Jeff and Lisa continues. If you would like to get in contact with me, you can do so at 6pspodcast at gmail.com. That's 6pspodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or inquiries. We're hoping to bring to you some special guests this year with the podcast, release some videos on YouTube and do a few different things here and there. But for now, don't forget that proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Are we finished? Done.